as we remember, as we acknowledge, perhaps even celebrate, the 502nd anniversary of the beginning of what's been called the Reformation. I'm not going to say anything new to you this morning. I'm not going to say anything that you probably haven't already heard. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to say you've probably heard many times over. For I hope to present to you that which is certainly 2,000 years old, uh, and in, in some instances perhaps no more than six or 700 years old. Uh, I told Kenny that uh, Ben had asked me to preach today because I was probably the one closest to the Reformation. <laughs> some, sus some suspicion of, of first-hand knowledge. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll work from, uh, from that angle, what with being... Uh, so here are the questions that we'll set before you at our response time. And I encourage you to, to take note of these and, and be prepared in response time to uh, bring that which would be uh, an encouragement, uh, uh, an enlightenment, a support of others. All right? this, is, this is your time to offer these responses that, that first of all would glorify our Lord, amen, and be an encouragement and enlightenment to others. So why was the Reformation begun in 1517 necessary? What was needed? Is that a dependent or independent uh, phrase there? Is those commas right? First was the information. Wow. <laughs> What was that? that was yeah. What was needed to reform the what what was needed to reform the church in that era, and when does reformation occur and end? And so I have entitled today's message the four W's of Reformation. Jesus founded his church, and on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, whom Jesus had promised to send. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit spoke through the apostles to the glory of that most precious name, to call out the elect of God. And from that day, the good news began to spread, and the word of God began to be known through the inspired writings of men. These inspired writings established for the church God's truth for faith and practice. They were, however, even as the scriptures had forewarned false teachers who from the very first endeavored to put, <clears throat> put their own cursed doctrines over that of God's Word. They denied the full humanity of Christ. They denied the full deity of Christ. 
They denied the sufficiency of Christ by imposing man-made practices, mischaracterizing the very ordinances that the Lord had given to His church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They condemned what was true and lauded that which was accursed. These false doctrines and false practices, in fact, had great appeal for many, for those who would lord themselves over others, abusing trust, corrupting decency, and oppressing the people. By their appeal to such men, the popular practice of the Christian religion spiraled ever lower into the darkness of sin. Why a reformation? The people were being taught that to obtain forgiveness of sin, that they must prostrate themselves before men. Their only hope of salvation was through what was called the sacraments of the church. This doctrine, this practice was based upon the authority of the powerful overlords of the Roman Catholic Church. The Bible, God's Word, the Bible had been relegated to a little read, less understood, and least regarded ancient text. There was very little good news to be found at church. Something had to happen. Something had to happen to elevate the worship of Christ, the peace, the joy, and the confident assurance of life in Christ. So the what? What would bring Reformation? The means to accomplish this need was available and had always been available. It was the Bible. The problems had come from the authority of man. The solution would come from the authority of God. Amen. There was light. There always had been light. Faithful men had throughout the ages combated these wretched liars and the infallible word was preserved by a faithful God. The authority of Scripture as the sole authority for faith and practice in His church had ever been advanced by God's elect. Salvation by grace through faith had always been God's promise. And this was the good news that would now, as always, set the captives free. Today we recognize the 502 years that have transpired since that day when History tells us Martin Luther nailed his objections to the practices of the Roman Catholic Church 
on the chapel door in his little village. We today stand on the shoulders of faithful men. The reformers, they themselves standing on the shoulders of reformers. John Wycliffe, John Huss, Martin Luther, Huldrich Vingley, John Calvin, John Knox, Charles Spurgeon, James P. Boyce, E.Y. Mullins, Tom Nettles, John Piper, Albert Moeller. And you would well say, but Ben, Bill, who am I? Bill, what about put the name in? So many others. So many faithful, courageous preachers, teachers of God's Word who have been faithful and true to God's Word. But all of these that I have named and all of those that you might name, it is so very interesting that they are all in one way or another grateful to the writings of that man known as Augustine of Hippo, who rightly divided the word of truth as inspired by the Apostle Paul, who proclaimed the name of the greatest reformer of all time, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. We acknowledge today that God, working through that faithful man, Martin Luther, began a work to reform and restore for His people a church. A church built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. That is God's plan, God's purpose, God's path for His church. Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. Can you guess why they were called Augustinians? Because they were founded by Augustine. Augustine of Hippo. Augustine, you may know. And it was uh, in many ways this this devotion, this awareness, this reading, and this connection with Augustine that was in large part, in large measure, that which guided, directed, inspired, encouraged Martin Luther. Martin Luther, a man who, who had great power, that was developed, came forth out of great humility. For Martin Luther was a man who was ever aware of his own sinfulness. Martin Luther, a man who, who stood guilty, his, his own 
his own heart, his own mind, his own spirit, his own conscience convicting him the guilt of his sin alienated from holy God. Condemned by a wrathful God. Hopeless because God is just. R.C. Sproul speaks of the chasm Luther perceived between the righteousness of God and his own depravity, the chasm for which he had never found the means to bridge. If anyone had ever worked for his salvation, it was Martin Luther. Constantly confessing his sins, doing penance by perpetual prayer, to his patron saint, crawling on his knees up the steps of St. John Lateran Church in Rome, beating himself unmercifully. In all of this, only to be ever more aware of his sin, widening the gulf between himself and God. I cannot save myself. Where can I turn? What must I do to be saved? Martin Luther was a scholar, a voracious reader, and encouraged by the teaching of those who had gone before Luther recognized that the Bible was the sole authority which could answer his need. And on one occasion, while preparing to teach from the book of Romans, Luther read Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Like the lightning bolt, which had earlier in his life turned him from becoming a lawyer to being a monk, this reading hits Luther like a ton of bricks. That for which he had struggled so hard, all of his piety, all of his sacrifice, his entire life of asceticism, none of which had ever brought him any peace was freely given by God to all who believe. Luther was, was all about justice, balancing the scales, paying the debt. This can't be right. Luther's sense of justice was offended. 
could it possibly be that all God required was faith? Once again, R.C. Sproul. And so the lights came on for Luther. And he began to understand that what Paul was speaking of here was a righteousness that God in His grace was making available to those who would receive it passively, not those who would achieve it actively, but that would receive it by faith and by which a person could be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. This was God's Word, God's truth, the gospel, the good news. In God's Son, it is finished. His life, His death, His resurrection, His hope. Believe and by grace, His righteousness is imparted to those who believe. The works of man, the words of man, does not, will not, cannot bring anyone one centimeter closer to holy God. For in Romans 3, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. <clears throat> their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Luther and every believer who reads these words sees himself without any merit before God but rejoices to continue to read. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith, in Jesus. Can you imagine, can you fathom what must have gone through Martin Luther's mind 
through his heart, through his very soul, upon reading these words and having the enlightenment of God's Holy Spirit granting to him the understanding, the awareness, the, the faith that he might believe what God had said through his holy writ. The burden is lifted. The debt has been paid. The light shines, justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What can you offer? What, do, what does God require? What can you bring? What can you hold in your hands? What can you offer from your heart? except to believe that the Son of God, that Jesus Christ, by, by His shed blood on Calvary's cross, has done it all. And that by His resurrection, God has granted to all of us of righteousness that endures throughout eternity if we only believe. Somebody should write a song. This truth, you see Martin Luther did not obtain this truth by the power of his own intellect, by reason, by logic, this truth came by the Word of God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, God, God quotes Himself to emphatically state what He had said before, but which is now given new light by the incarnation of His Son. So that you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Now, y'all know, y'all know there's a whole sermon there. Just, I mean, you gotta. But you also know, praise God, you know, you know the two words that I'm going to pull out. You know those two words that resound throughout the history of mankind. Those words that, that make a, a complete turn around the lives of men. For it is God, but God. As you read these words, leave them up there, please. Ephesians, whatever it was I was reading. As you read these words, as you, as you hear God speaking of the miraculously wonderful gift that He has given through the, through the sacrifice of His Son. And you come to, after that darkness of man's sin, after the darkness of my sin, after the alienation that, that I had accomplished away from the Lord my God, my Creator. Total depravity. But God. And that speaks, that speaks of an explosion, an explosion that occurs unlike any that has ever occurred in this world. God wipes away the curse that sinful man brings upon himself. No craft of man, no genius of man, no plan, no power, no purpose of man involved to the most minuscule degree. But God. Talk about a reformation. The why of the Reformation, the what of the Reformation, give rise to the who of the Reformation. But I want to suggest to you this morning the most encouraging may well be the when of the Reformation. For I propose that these events, those wonderful, faithful men of God that I counted off, it's getting cold in here. You're awake. that all of these things occurred as a, a continuation, a continuation in time. We, we look at events and circumstances, dates, men's names. What we have here is a, 
a, a continuation. God. In, in God working out, God working to, to accomplish, to, to complete, God working out His will for the salvation of His people. Those whom, those whom He foreknew, right? He called. And, and so it was that it had always been that those that God had foreknew before the foundation of the world, God had, had already prepared, God had already planned, God had worked to continue throughout time that he would call his people unto himself. He would grant that gift of faith that they might believe and that in the name of his Son, would be lifted up to save his people. But when the fullness, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Galatians 4.4. 4. Isn't, isn't that a marvelous Phrase, the idea of the, the fullness of time. You know, it has the idea that when the time was just right. And I think it's fair for when we're, we're talking about the work of Almighty God that we might say when the time was perfect. Right? When the time was perfect. And I would say to you that God's timing is always perfect. He doesn't come early. He doesn't come late. God's timing is always the fullness of time. Jesus had said himself, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He was with John Wycliffe. He was with Augustine of Hippo. He was with Martin Luther. He was with E.Y. Mullins, John Piper. And he's with all who believe. All to whom he has granted that faith in his son Jesus Christ. Those whom he has called into his family, adopted as his children. I will never leave you nor forsake. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Reformation, Martin Luther, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a neat thing. That's a cool thing. But so is Sunday morning worship service at Sovereign Grace Church in Statesboro, Georgia. As God continues in His time, in the fullness of time, to work out his plan, His purpose, for His glory among His people. We can talk about and look at the, the circumstances that facilitated the things that occurred in and through and after the 
the work of Martin Luther, 1517, 1515, 15. Interesting dates in it. Oh, while I'm thinking of it, this week, Ligonier Ministries down in Florida, on their website, Ligonier.com or something, they gave away, they gave away a video teaching series by R.C. Sproul on uh, Martin Luther and the Reformation. Ten videos, I think, about half an hour each. Free. Uh, and a book. Uh, what do you call it? Digital book. Whatever. What do you, huh? Ebook. What's ebook? What's the e? Ah, okay. All right. So, a book, right? Again, uh, one of the videos are wonderful. Haven't read the book yet. What? <laughs> I was a little busy. Uh, at any rate, if, uh, if you would like to avail yourselves, and they're still available, if you'd like to avail yourselves to these, just simply uh, uh, say something to me or, or Ben. I'm sure he got the uh, email as well, and I'll forward you the links. Uh, you won't be disappointed. If you're at all interested in, in, uh, in these things. But so so there, were, there were certainly uh, critical events circumstances that, that occurred at that time. We, we often mention the, the invention of the printing press, which was really big, uh, and, and as the, the movable type, um, that, that was the invention of the printing press, was movable type, um, which then allowed a, a much wider uh, printing and distribution of Bibles uh, and the writings of, of people such as Martin Luther. And so these things had a much wider uh, uh, distribution, reading, and uh, much greater awareness among many more people. Certainly the, the social, political, educational uh, uh, circumstances of the day were significant in, in allowing uh, Martin Luther's uh, teaching, preaching, writings, uh, his life uh, to become known in that area. Again, some interesting stuff. Uh, get the videos, get the book. Frederick the Wise um, was, was uh, Martin Luther's protector. And the fact that Martin Luther, or rather that Frederick the Wise, was kind of around. Uh, and so Martin Luther didn't get burned at the stake. Uh, Martin Luther wasn't drowned. Uh, Martin Luther, he was certainly condemned. He was certainly excommunicated. I think there's an even uh, step even further than excommunicated. Uh, I mean, it's really excommunicated or something. Uh, but he was not physically uh, attacked. They were physically harmed because Frederick the Wise, uh, he was a kind of a prince, noble dude uh, there in Germany at that time. And he... He, uh, he put Martin Luther up and uh, saw to it that he was protected. So there were, there were circumstances, situations in which we, uh, we recognized the, the fullness of time as God was at work. And so I say to you, in, in, in all of that, but God. You see, 
God, God has always, always been about reformation. You don't believe me? Read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First and second Corinthians. Read the Old Testament. God has always been about reformation. You don't believe that? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Read the New Testament. God has always been about reformation. If that's not enough, look at our lives. God is still all about reformation. Sinners in need of a Savior. God reforming hearts. God reforming people to draw them, to draw us unto Himself. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For our joy, for His glory. Father, we give you thanks for your word, your spirit, your work, your faith, your hope that you have granted that we might be your people. In Jesus' name. Amen.